Old powers waken, shadows stir, an age of wonder and terror will soon be upon us, an age for gods and heroes. The glass candles are burning, and you're listening to the Obsidian Nights Podcast. Hello, my sweet summer children. I'm back with another episode of the Obsidian Nights podcast, where we go through A Song of Ice and Fire chapter by chapter. And today's guest is Clay. Clay, thanks for coming. Would you want to let the people know who you are and where they can find you? Uh, no problem. Thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, my channel is Boss Store. Um, I will have a Game of Thrones related uh, video out before this is done so that I actually have something to uh, refer you guys to. I mostly don't do Game of Thrones podcasts but or Game of Thrones content, but I like Game of Thrones enough to never pass up the opportunity to come on a podcast talking about it. So Awesome. So what kind of Game of Thrones video are you doing? Um, I'm just going to, it's just a moments in different video games kind of thing. So I'm going to talk about the end of the first episode of the uh, Game of Thrones Telltale game. It's like a, it's more a choose your own adventure movie thing than a video game anyway. So those of you who don't play video games normally, uh, you get a chance to see some canonical stuff that's, uh, I guess, HBO considers canonical. House Forester, stuff like that. Okay. Well, that sounds interesting. I've heard a lot about House Forester, so I'm interested to check that out. But today, you're joining me to cover Eddard 13. Yes, a very depressing. Uh, we have to say goodbye to our friend uh, Bobby B. Bobby I mean, B. <laughs> I, mean, he, I mean, you know, he, if, if, he, if he had a Twitter account, he'd get called out for what he did to those Targaryen children, and understandably so. But yeah. uh, uh, charismatic on the surface, he's got some skeletons in his closet, but who doesn't, I guess, right? I love Bobby B. Like, I get it. People don't like him, but... I love Bobby B and Bobby B didn't really do it, do that to the Targaryen children. He just didn't kill Tywin or punish Tywin for doing it. Oh, really? Yeah. He oh. didn't ki- like Tywin. Bob, uh, Robert Baratheon was on the Trident when it went down. Oh. And oh, then, yeah. and then Tywin like presented their bodies to him. And, you know, Ned was like, that's murder. Like, it's murder. Yeah, it was kind of a negligence thing instead of a, uh, him doing the deed directly yeah it, it, it's funny you have to be a really good author because you think robert's rebellion is such an interesting story and by the time the books happen those that's already done so you have to have a really confident author to have the lore <laughs> itself just be that good you know yeah and i love the way that george does it where like exposition is dropped over time like you hear about robert's rebellion and then you don't hear about it anymore and then like you get these little grains of what's happened in Robert's Rebellion all throughout the story to where you kind of want to know the exposition and what happened before than actually what's going on right now. Like it's both equally interesting. Yeah. It's almost like, uh, it's almost like Game of Thrones is, a, it starts as a sequel and it talks about its prequel throughout. And it's really interesting. I feel like if they had a book dedicated to it, it wouldn't be as special just because I'm um, referencing it in snippets is more interesting way more interesting especially when it parallels with so much going on in the story george is a genius he's a genius Genius. i don't know how i don't know how he does it he must have a google (laughs) excel sheet with like 40 different timelines i I don't know how he does it uh that's probably why we don't have wins yet that's (laughs) 
probably why. But um, to like get into the Eddard chapter, I want to just read how the chapter opens up. Mm-hmm. He was walking through the crypts beneath Winterfell as he had walked a thousand times before. The kings of winter watched him pass with eyes of ice, and the direwolves at their feet turned their great stone heads and snarled. Last of all, he came to the tomb where his father slept, with Brandon and Lyanna beside him. Promise me, Ned, Lyanna's statue whispered. She wore a garland of pale blue roses, and her eyes wept of blood. Eddard Stark jerked upright, his heart racing, the blankets tangled around him. The room was black as pitch, and someone was hammering on the door. Lord Eddard, a voice called loudly. So I just want to talk about this dream really quick, because I feel like Ned Stark has some reoccurring dreams the whole time he's in King's Landing. They always had to do with the Tower of Joy, Lyanna. Mm Mm-hmm. Crips of Winterfell. This one is really creepy to me. Um, he's in the Crips of Winterfell. The Kings of Winter, their stone uh, statues, I guess, are watching him pass and their eyes are of ice, which makes me think of White Walkers. And the direwolves at their feet are snarling at him or snarling at Ned Stark. Right. And he's sees Liana and she's saying, promise me, Ned. And I wonder why he would have this dream now um, in this chapter with when we know what happens in this chapter, which is Ned offers the throne to Stannis Baratheon. Like Ned is going to help. He decides he's going to help Stannis take the throne. Um, right. So I wonder if Ned promised Lyanna that he would fight for John's birthright. Yeah, I think I think part of the reason those are flooding back to Ned's head is that uh, I believe at the beginning of the chapter, he knows what's happened to Robert, right? Or does he not get the news about the boar until later in? Uh, later in. Oh, okay. Um, I think uh, maybe just from uh, the author's um, the way he paced it, I think he put it there because, I mean, if he doesn't tell Robert now, he, he's never going to tell him. And, yeah. I, and I do love all the hints of, uh, I do love all the icy imagery mm-hmm. because um, there is a lot of references in the books that the reason the Starks have their warg powers in the first place was from uh, ancient inbreeding with uh, White Walkers and stuff like that. So yeah. it kind of adds a cool dark fantasy twist to the whole uh, thing the whole stolen children thing, the other stealing children in the night and all of that old Nan's tales come into life. Um, (laughs) One of the interesting things to me is when we think about the crypts of Winterfell, like Ned keeps having these foreboding dreams, like in the last chapter, I believe it was either the last chapter or the chapter before he had the dream of the tower of joy. And he was like, it's not, it's not good that I'm having this dream right now. And I feel like it's the same for this dream. Like he's literally dreaming of himself in the crypts of Winterfell. So if he's dreaming of himself in the crypts of Winterfell, he's basically dreaming of his death. Like he's Mm. surrounded by the dead. And we know like what, he does next in this chapter like the steps that he makes in this chapter kind of sign the dotted line when it comes to (laughs) 
him yeah. living or dying. Anyone who's uh, read further in the books and has watched the show, uh, when you go back and read this chapter, there's just you just kick yourself. You're like, what are you doing, man? It's you read this chapter and you're like, it's a cra- it's crazy. Ned lasted this long um, just in the first place. He makes so many bad decisions, and it's hard not to love him. But he really is that example character of this is how you don't play the Game of Thrones because uh, he's just too good for this world. So he's just making all the wrong honorable decisions. Yes. So as he wakes up from this creepy, creepy dream, um, it's a steward at his door telling him that Robert needs him at once. And Ned goes over to Magor's Holdfast where Robert is. And the Kingsguard is like guarding the bridge, the steps, the royal part, like Kingsguard everywhere. And Ned sees um, Sir Barrison and... Um, just the look on Sir Barrison's face, like Ned knows something is wrong. Mm-hmm. And yeah, when he goes inside, he sees Robert, um, Grandmaster Picel is there, Renly is there, Cersei, and he says that the room smells like death. Yeah. <sighs> it's like so for me, Robert Baratheon, yeah, he's an asshole. He's a drunk. Like, but <laughs> it's sad that like the way he his whole life is just sad. Like, um, everything he's had to deal with, as far as lo- losing his parents, Rhaegar stealing the woman that he loved, whether he really loved her or not, or he was just infatuated or obsessed with her, whatever. Rhaegar stealing her. Um him becoming king when he really didn't want to become king. Like being king is everything that Robert is not. Um, Him becoming an, marrying a woman that hates him and he hates her. Um, Having children, raising children, thinking these children are yours and they're not, they're your wife's brother's children. And then you just dying basically. (laughs) Becoming yeah. an alcoholic, whoring, and dying. Yeah, it really, uh, and the way you just put it, I never really thought about it like that, but he really is in a lot of situations where you wouldn't, it's like trying to fit a, um, you know, a square peg into a circle hole. He's, he is really not the king type, although he is probably more merry than most people would be in those circumstances. He's like Santa Claus almost, but it, it is really sad because it's, he did, he started that rebellion not because he wanted to be king. It's just because it was, the situation was so bad with the Targaryens and, you know, he's, he's condoned and done some horrible stuff, but it's hard not to feel sorry for him in the end. And it is scary because he really is, you know, the single dangling thread that's keeping Ned safe in King's Landing at that time. So with his passing, things get a lot more dangerous. Yeah. And it's like, just to note right here in Bran, when Bran falls from the tower in Winterfell, Robert had left Winterfell to go hunt a boar. And that led to Bran being pushed out of the tower. Jamie staying behind with Cersei and all of that. And then it's this boar, though, in the Kingswood that kills him. And Robert says that he missed his thrust. So it's it's funny that like Robert's always hunting after a boar. And when he goes hunting after a boar, bad shit happens. Like straight up, like straight up. Yeah, and I can't. I can think of few fantasy series that would be, you know, ballsy enough to kill off 
such a major character with something kind of trivial like that, where, you know, so many uh, books and movies have plot armor that's just really thick. And then, you know, this is the thing that does him in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's alive. Robert's alive here, but he's fucked up. Ned says they had done what they could to close him up, but it was nowhere near enough. The boar must have been a fearsome thing. It had ripped the king from growing to nipple with its tusks. The wine-soaked bandages that Grandmaster Picel had applied were already black with blood, and the smell of the wound was hideous. Ned's stomach turned. He let the blanket fall. And, like, I don't know. Can you imagine, like, bringing your family to King's Landing to serve this king, and then you see him on his deathbed killed by a boar or dying because he got stabbed by a boar it's passages like that in the book where i'm like man i wish most people could write like that or it's just (laughs) like black with blood and you know i mean i've had some there's been some situations where it's like you know i i can totally recount the smell i can tell what you know george is talking about it's a painful chapter to read in the best way Mm -hmm. it is so robert basically like he brings the boar back with him for the feast like robert knows he's gonna die and he wants this boar served at his like funeral feast mm-hmm. um but robert commands everyone to leave and cersei's kind of like robert my sweet lord <laughs> and robert's like i said leave <laughs> and he was like what part of that don't you understand woman and Cersei doesn't want to leave because she's scared of what Ned might say to Robert because in the last Ned chapter, he confronted Cersei and told Cersei that he was going to tell Robert her business. Right. And that is such a, um, I guess, in I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. That's such a bad move on Ned's part in, in hindsight, but. Yeah, if no. hindsight was blindness, that was dumb as hell. <laughs> <laughs> like, that was dumb as hell. I mean, I just don't understand what he was thinking. <laughs> like, I understand being honorable, but like, at the cost of your own self. Like, when Barris asks him in the show, "What madness led you to sell the queen?" I'm like, yes. Like, I agree with you, Barris, and I can't exactly. stand Barris. Um. So he's talking to Ned and Robert are talking and Robert says um, about Daenerys, you know, you were right. You were right. You were right. uh, Ned. Mm -hmm. Um, And Robert thinks that the boar was sent to punish him for, you know, sending people to kill Daenerys because Daenerys is only a child. Um. And he says, wrong, it was wrong. I only a girl, Varys, Littlefinger, even my brother, worthless. No one to tell me no, but you, Ned, only you. And it's not even that Ned is Robert's true friend. And that's why, like, Ned just wants to do the right thing. And Robert is surrounded by yes men, but all kings are. Like all kings are surrounded by yes men because even we see it with Joffrey, we see it with Tommen, we see it with everybody. Everybody, every monarch is surrounded by people that just say yes, 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 and they just don't disagree with the king. Yeah, and that was a Sean Bean's performance in the show. It was just funny seeing him tell Robert off, where he's like, he's not afraid to say, oh, "Yeah, that armor doesn't fit you because you're fat." 
everyone else on the high council or the small council or whatever it was called, they would, all of them would be too afraid to lift a finger to him. And Ned's just like, I've known this guy for years. We're best friends. I'm not afraid to tell him when he messes up. Yeah. And at the end of the day, that's why Robert wanted Ned Stark to come and be his hand to the king, because he knows that Ned is going to keep it 100 with him no matter what and do the right thing. Just like John Aaron. He knows that Ned really cares about him. Like Ned really loves him. These other people, they only support Robert because Robert's doing something for them or they benefit from Robert in some way. Right. But the pen and paper come out or the quill and ink (laughs) parchment, whatever. Um, So, Robert says to Ned, write this down. This is the will and word of Robert of House Baratheon, the first of his name, King of the Andals, and all the rest. Put in the damn titles. You know how it goes. I do hereby command Eddard of House Stark, Lord of Winterfell, and Hand of the King, to serve as Lord Regent and Protector of the Realm upon my death, to rule in my stead until my son Joffrey does come of age." He And then he's thinking, Joffrey is not your son, he wanted to say, but the words would not come. The agony was written too plainly across Robert's face. He could not hurt him more. So Ned bent his head and wrote, but where the king had said, my son Joffrey, he scrawled my heir instead. The deceit made him feel soiled. The lies we tell for love, he thought. May the gods forgive me. What else would you have me say? Say whatever you need to protect and defend God's old and new. You have the words right. I'll sign it. You give it to the council when I'm dead. Robert, Ned said in a voice thick with grief. You must not do this. Don't die on me. The realms need you. Robert took his hand, fingers squeezing hard. You are such a bad liar, Ned Stark, he said through his pain. The realm knows what a wretched king I've been. Bad as heiress. The gods spare me. No, Ned told his dying friend. Not so bad as Eris, your grace. Not near so bad as Eris. Robert managed a weak red smile. At the least, they will say this last thing. This I did right. You won't fail me. You'll rule now. You'll hate it worse than I did, but you'll do well. Are you done with the scribbling? Uh, this almost makes me teary eyed <laughs> because Robert says they'll say I did this right. This last thing, this mm-hmm. I did right. And he tells Ned that you won't fail me. But after Robert dies, there's a war of five kings and Robert's brothers take up against each other. His quote unquote son is at war. Like, it's the realms won't say you got this last thing right robert yeah he doesn't doesn't get the the redemption he deserves where ned gets to right the wrongs that he did and he doesn't know that the instant he dies everything kind of goes to hell like that and one thing i really love about this chapter is the way george paced the words when ned says joffrey is not your son there's a split second where you think that ned said that out loud yeah and and then the next line says that that was what he wanted to tell him I'm like, oh, man. I mean, I would have told him. Yeah, it would have been terrible, but um, I guess there is more like respect than just, you know, knowing a bitter truth than a sweet lie like that, especially if you're Ned, who seems to be obsessed with bitter truths. I mean, I just, I would have told him because (laughs) 
he doesn't understand that once Robert dies, you're you don't have any power in King's Landing. Yeah, once, you really don't. like once Robert dies, you're done here. Like, he's got he's got a piece of paper. That's all he's got, and then yeah. Cersei just rips it up. And she's been there long enough to know that they don't play by the same rules as him in King's Landing. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah. No, I was just saying that it, it is it is interesting to see the st- uh, contrast between. I almost said stark contrast, and then I realized <laughs> that was a pun, so I stopped. Uh, the contrast between how Winterfell's culture is and how King's Landing's uh, culture is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's a night and day contrast. Like, exactly. seriously, sun and moon right there. Um, so Renly is kind of like in shock. <laughs> like, he's like, they're like, by rights, he should be dead already. I've never seen a man cling to life so fiercely. And Renly's like, my brother has always been strong. And like, ah, it's hard, right? Because I don't really care for Renly that much because I think, like, I like Renly, but at the same time, like, he had no right to usurp Stannis. And then he kind of just left Ned Stark to die. But at the same time, he did offer Ned, you know, We'll talk about that. Um, (laughs) We'll talk about that in a second. But so Cersei leaves and like Ned is like, you know, at least she's gone. Like he's thinking that she's then run away. But again, he's underestimating Cersei. Like he thinks that she's then run away. She's about to run away with her kids to Cashley Rock. He is crazy. (laughs) He doesn't doesn't know his opponent at all. He needs to read the art of war. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, Robert basically, bef- but what he tells Ned is like, "I'll give my love to Lee. I'll give, I'll give Liana your love, Ned." Like he thinks, he thinks that he's gonna meet Liana in the afterlife. Um, so, uh, Picel comes back in. Renly comes back in. They all come back in, and I mean. They're just kind of waiting for Robert to die, basically. They're spending, like, the last moments with Robert. Um, Varys comes through. And he's trying to figure out what is going on with the wine. Like, who gave the king, you know, all this wine? Because they're blaming the king being drunk on the wine, which definitely... It was about like Cersei did tell Lancel to take the king's favorite wine and make sure he doesn't go thirsty. So like they were plotting on Robert. They had they were plotting on Robert way before the hunt the hunting trip, but they had right. to speed it up because Ned was getting on the same thing John Aaron was getting on that these kids aren't Roberts. Yeah, very picked that apart really quick. Really quick. Um, but Ned tells Varys, you know, uh, the king wants to cancel the hit on Daenerys. And Varys is like, honey, that <laughs> too late, like too late. That's already going down. Um, but he'll try to see like if he can stop it. But we know that that doesn't end up happening. 
So while Ned is leaving, Renly, sweet Renly, comes to Ned and is like, um, did Robert uh, make you regent? And Renly already knows Robert's going to make Ned regent. Like, it's not like he's asking a question. He's just kind of looking for um, confirmation. And he's like, you know, well, I have a hundred swords for you. Like I can get you a hundred swords in your service. Um, He's like, strike now while the castle sleeps. Renly looked back at Sir Boris again and dropped his voice to an urgent whisper. We must get Joffrey away from his mother and take him in hand. Protector or no, the man who holds the king holds the kingdom. We should seize Marcella and Tommen as well. Once we have her children, Cersei will not dare oppose us. The council will confirm you as Lord Protector and make Joffrey your ward. And Ned, like, looks at him like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, (laughs) Ned regarded him coldly. Robert is not dead yet. The gods may spare him. If not, I shall convey a council to hear his final words and consider the matter of the secession. But I will not dishonor his last hours on earth by shedding blood in his halls and and dragging frightened children from their beds. And Lord Renly, like, steps back away from him. It says taught as a bowstring like he steps back away from him like oh this motherfucker is ill like (laughs) (laughs) this guy is crazy and i and like i don't blame renly for leaving like renly's coming to him telling him like a good plan and ned is kind of like no so renly is like every moment you delay cersei's plotting like every moment you like Cersei's plotting right now and you're delaying. Yeah. It's and, just frustrating because it's like Renly is telling Ned exactly what the audience would tell Ned, <laughs> where it's like, um, I guess anyone who's seen the later le- seasons of Game of Thrones, it's like, hey, you got you got some stuff you got to do right now or else you're going to get killed. Yeah. I mean, he's he's not he's so dumb. He's so <laughs> dumb. He even like he he's not like. I, it's not that he's stupid. It's just that he's so honorable and these people are just not. So it says that um, he found himself wondering if he had done the right thing by refusing Lord Renly's offer. He had no taste for these intrigues and there was no honor in threatening children. And yet, if Cersei elected to fight rather than flee, he might well have need of Renly's hundred swords and more besides. I want Littlefinger. He told his story. So he calls Littlefinger. Jesus. It just keeps getting dumber and dumber. <laughs> so <laughs> he gets Tom. Um, to, he gives Tom this letter and he's like, you know, you're going to pass near Dragonstone when you go north. Deliver this letter for me to Dragonstone. Give it to like, give it to Stannis yourself. Like, give it to Lord Stannis. So this letter is basically Ned saying, you know, he's going to basically, like, Stannis is the rightful heir. Right. And mm, so <laughs> Littlefinger, <laughs> Littlefinger arrives and it's like, you know, good. I'm glad that you're protector of the realm now, you know, congratulations. Um. And Ned is like, how do these people know this stuff? Because 
it's something that Robert just told him, but Barris told Littlefinger and Ned confirmed it. So Littlefinger, like little, these people are all steps ahead ahead of Ned. They're, they're all so gossipy. They all know what's going on already. Yes, yes. Um, so Ned wants Littlefinger's help. But first, Littlefinger, he wants to try to convince Ned to do something else. Because nobody really wants Stannis to be king. And it's not just that they feel like a war is going to happen if Stannis is king. They know that their ass is grass if Stannis is king. Like Littlefinger, <laughs> Littlefinger, Bar- Stannis says it. He's like, I would have scoured that court clean. Um, it reminds me of like Trump when he says drain the swamp. Like, that's, <laughs> like, that's what I feel like um, Stannis, Stannis is saying when he's like, I'll scour that court clean. I like the idea of uh, just Varys's voice or uh, Peter's voice just saying my ass is grass. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if Stannis is king, that's it. That is it. And so they don't want that because like Stannis is like, he's not going to be having no brothels, none of that shit. He's mm. not going to put up with any of the things that Littlefinger, Varys, Cersei, those people do. He's not putting up with none of that shit. Mm. He's a hard ass. Yeah, Littlefinger says, hear me out. Stannis is no friend of yours, nor of mine. Even his brothers can scarcely stomach him. The man is iron, hard, and unyielding. He'll give us a new hand and a new council for a certainty. No doubt he'll thank you for handing him the crown, but he won't love you for it, and his ascent will mean war. Stannis cannot rest easy on the throne until Cersei and her bastards are dead. Do you think Lord Tywin will sit idly while his daughter's head is measured for a spike? Casually, Rock will rise, and not alone. Robert found it in him to pardon men who served King Aerys, so long as they did him fealty. Stannis is less forgiving. He will not have forgotten the siege of Storm's End, and the Lord's Tyrell and Redwine dare not. Every man who fought beneath the dragon banner or rose with Balon Greyjoy will have good cause to fear. Seat Stannis on the Iron Throne, and I promise you the realm will bleed. So, yeah, they're scared. They're terrified of Stannis, with good reason. And he basically is like, you know, look, let's just put Joffrey on the throne. He's just 12. You're the regent. You're handed the king. And the power is yours. And he's like trying to convince Ned that Joffrey is, you know, the right choice that will avoid war. Blah, blah, blah. And and Littlefinger saying shit like, we will, we can remove him dispose him whatever and that's like we (laughs) we (laughs) and he's like you know you're gonna need somebody to share your burdens um out my price will be modest and ned is like you know you you know that they they sent the dude to kill my son like to slit my son's throat so ned as honorable as he is he doesn't really want to make peace with the Lannisters. He's like, fuck the Lannisters. And like it to me, the right choice is to give the throne to Stannis because that's who the throne is supposed to go to. Or give it to your nephew, Jon Snow. There's going to be a war. <laughs> Let it be a war. Anyway, but is there going to be a war either way? I'm not sure how much, how well that plan would have worked, though, because Peter's suggesting, like, hey, just put Joffrey on the throne, you know. 
and he's easy to control. And I'm like, he's not easy to control. I mean, Cersei will will, uh, groom him into turning against Ned. So I'm not sure how well uh, Peter's plan would have worked. I guess he would have been paid um, through some back door and he would have kept things in line. But yeah. Yeah. So um, Ned basically declines all of Littlefinger's bullshit. He's like, you know, I, I don't care about what you're talking about. Stannis is the rightful heir. There's no choice to be made. It's Stannis. And um, that's when he asks Littlefinger for help. He needs swords. He needs the city watch. Like, should Cersei contest whatever is written on that paper? He needs to have the city watch. Um, But Ned can't even say it because it's like... Yeah, it's, and Peter Peter toys with him. He's like, "Oh, go on, just say it." And he's like, "Come on, you know what? You know why you've actually called me in this room. You know why? You know what you want me to say?" Yes. So, um, six thousand gold dragons is the price for the city watch, and Littlefinger is going to go to um, Janice Slint and make sure that they are with Ned Stark but they're not. And it's funny because he says we might be able to buy them for half that much, but I prefer not to take chances. Smiling, he plucked up the dagger and offered it to Ned Hilt first. I like think that's such a clever way to end that chapter because if I was Ned Stark, I would have put that dagger through his heart right then and there (laughs) and a lot could have been avoided but it's funny because that dagger is what's caused all this and that dagger is Littlefinger's plot device to make all of this chaos happen yeah that that dagger is responsible for so many different wars uh, yeah at least in the show yeah like that dagger, yeah, Joffrey stole it from Robert to try to kill, to give to the cat's ball to kill Bran. But when Littlefinger found out about it, Littlefinger put it on Tyrion, which bolstered more of the claims in that letter that they sent Catelyn about the Lannisters trying to kill, the Lannisters killing John Aaron and Robert being in danger. Mm-hmm. So, hey, this is a sad chapter. It's a sad chapter, mainly because Robert is died and we love Robert. Well, I love Robert. Um, but it's just like you just see from the very beginning, you see that Ned's not going to fare well. He's he's the it opens up with him walking in the crypts, for God's sakes, <laughs> his <laughs> yeah. final resting place. Yeah, no, it really is a, a passing of the torch from the first generation of characters like if Game of Thrones was a more traditional story, maybe Robert would have stayed king for a while. Maybe Ned would have stayed a character for the whole time, but then it wouldn't really be a series that you and me are like, you know, praising for being so great where characters yeah. can constantly shift and turn. And it, it, it's crazy. Yeah. Like that Ned had to die because like, to me, the story is about John, Arya, Sansa, rob like it's about the children of these characters that we first meet it's about them growing up and coming of an age and like how they change the world that they live in um and how they change themselves 
So these massive arcs to me can't happen if Ned Stark's still alive. Right. It really does propel. Um, I mean, I imagine Arya's, you know, Arya's obsessed with her revenge and, you know, we root for her because we love Ned. We love all the people that Arya has lost. And, um, but it does propel uh, Arya's arc in such a way that she'll probably have to, you know, not be obsessed with revenge later. And I'm not like, no bullshit. Ned Stark's death is what got me hooked. Oh, yeah. That's what got me hooked. It, unfortunately, I had it spoiled for me beforehand, but <laughs> it, it was still it was still a crazy scene to see. Like even if it even if it gets spoiled for you beforehand, it's still just to watch it happen is crazy. Oh, it didn't get spoiled for me beforehand, and when I watched it, I was like, "There's no way." Yeah, you, you always wait because we're so used to normal television. It's like something's going to happen, some BS is going to happen, but nope, it just follows through. When I think it was Sir Ellen pulled his head up. And it was like detached from his body. I was like, you're fucking kidding. They killed the main character. What is going on? <laughs> and that was um apparently uh, Sir Illin's actor was uh, sick and he was not able to reprise his role in the show, which was unfortunate because I really wanted to see Sir Illin get what was coming to him later on in the show. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah me too. I was glad I got to see Janice Slint get what was coming to him, though. Oh, yeah. And jo- <laughs> John's like, almost doesn't do it at first. And it's those little moments. It's like, it's not, you don't fully get revenge for what happened to Ned, but it's just those small victories where, Hey, this was a douche that had some small part in getting Ned killed. And we get small justice for him right here. Yes. Yes. Well, that is Ned 13. And is there anything you would like to add that we didn't cover? Um, um, not really. I mean, it's just, it is a, it's Game of Thrones at one of its best moments. It's all these characters vying for, you know, like there's this giant tectonic uh, shifts in power and everybody has different outlooks on it. And it's it really is just what separates it from other fantasy stories, the political and human side of it, as opposed to the magic stuff, you know? I would definitely say this is the chapter where it's hot. Like it's like we were waiting for it to heat up. Oh, it's getting hot. And like mm-hmm. from here on out, it just doesn't get cool again. <laughs> like <laughs> it never cools off again. Yeah. So I want to thank you for coming on to Obsidian Nights. Oh, no I will leave all of your links in the description box for your YouTube channel, for your um Game of Thrones video as well. And you're are you on Twitter? Um sad. Yeah. Sadly, (laughs) I'll leave your Twitter information in the description box as well. And if you would like to be on an episode of Obsidian Nights, you can hit up at Nims Shadow on Twitter or Instagram, and she will set you up for a recording of the Obsidian Nights podcast. As always, thanks for listening and you guys have a good day. Bye.